If you have your Bibles, you can turn once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you didn't bring one, you can grab a pew Bible on the rack in front of you and will be found on page 958. We're doing a short two-week sermon series called Summer Freedom before diving into the Psalms together this summer. James kicked it off last week, and you may remember a few things about that sermon. You may remember that James is well on his way to becoming an American citizen, and I can report that his Americanization is well underway. He wore his Captain America swim trunks all week at the staff retreat, so he is fully embracing uh, his freedom. James also pointed out last week Yes. We'll get him a lunchbox to match. So, James also pointed out that freedom resonates in all of our hearts because God has set this desire for freedom deep in all of us. There's a longing to not be enslaved. There's a longing to be free, not just physically, but also spiritually. And so last week, James looked at verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And James taught us how to obey this commandment, how to enjoy God, and how God enjoys us. And we said that our goal for this summer is that loved by Christ, we are free in Christ. So let's make the most of our newfound freedom by enjoying the summer to the glory of God. Amen? So we're going to look at these same few verses. We're going to start reading in verse 23 through 11.1, and then we'll focus on verse 32 and 33 today. So let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. There's a preacher by the name of Harry Emerson Fosdick who is famous for saying this, that some people have just enough religion to make them miserable. Does this describe you or perhaps someone you know? Christian, are you miserable or do you have enough freedom that you sing, that you dance, that you laugh, that you love, and that you take risk because you know Jesus? Non-Christian, 
Do you know Christians who exhibit this freedom and though you don't understand what they have, you want what they have? Are Christians known for being miserable or are we known for being free? You see, the average person, if we invite them to become a Christian, the average person assumes that we are inviting them in to just a different set of rules and regulations that will oppress them. But a gospel person knows that when you are inviting someone to become a Christian, you are inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you are inviting them to experience freedom that comes from knowing that Jesus has already done everything for you. You see, that's what freedom is all about. That's why Paul writes, Eat whatever, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. James told us last week that the gospel frees us from rules and regulations. Christians, the very moment that you believed the very moment that you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, you were completely accepted in that moment and you were adopted into the family of God. In that very moment, God is pleased with you, not because of what you have done, but God is pleased with you because of Jesus, because of what he has done. And so friends, we have to remember that God loves me. And he accepts us, not because of what I have done. And I don't even do things anymore to make me look good, but rather we do things for the joy of doing them. We are people who have more than enough grace to make us free. And that's why Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. James went on to, do, to say that love by Christ We are free in Christ. And then he asked the question, what are we to do with our freedom? Point one of last week was glorify God and enjoy it. Two points this week, two joyful responsibilities about what we are to do with our freedom from verses 32 and 33. What do you do with your freedom? The first thing that you do with your freedom in Christ, enjoy your freedom for the good of others. Look down at verse 32. Paul writes, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now listen, if you've ever read this letter to the church at Corinth, that is one messed up church. If you ever feel bad about your church, just go read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It was full of division. It was full of strife. This church was coming apart at the seams. There were divisions between Jews and And Greeks, they were arguing over different rules in order to prove who is better. And that's why Paul had to write in chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. There was also disagreement between the followers of Paul, the followers of Apollos, and the followers of Cephas. Paul had planted this church. He had baptized a few people there. And then Apollos came, and then Cephas came, and different people were vying for power by saying, I should be in power because I was discipled by Paul. 
Somebody else says, well, I should be in charge. I was discipled by Apollos. And yet somebody else said, I should be in charge. I was discipled by Cephas. There was all kinds of division. There were all kinds of power struggles. And that's why Paul wrote in chapter 3 in Corinthians, he said, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What does he mean by flesh and being human? What Paul is talking about is this, that our natural sin and brokenness is limiting. It's restrictive. In our fallen nature, we are selfish beings and we make everything about us. Paul identifies some of this underlying causes of division. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, no more boasting about men. What is he talking about? He's talking about pride. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, he says, I do not even judge myself. What is he talking about there? Fear and insecurity. You see, the natural man is only concerned about one person, me. Think about that. If you had a tape recorder, some of you need to be understand what a tape recorder is. It's a little deck. <laughs> it winds. Imagine if you had a tape recorder that recorded all of your thoughts, especially those at the end of the day. When you lie in bed, what do you think about? I think about me. What did I say? What did I not say? How did I come across? You rehearse all the things that you've done well, and you rehearse all the things that you've done poorly. We are so consumed by ourselves. We are constantly thinking about if we were ignored or stubbed. We're rehearsing all these different interactions because we are obsessed with our own success or failures. And this is what Paul is talking about. Nothing will destroy community more than selfishness. But you know how we deal with this? The most common way that we deal with selfishness, in order to feel better about ourselves, we end up comparing ourselves to one another. This is what C.S. Lewis would talk about is pride. He would say pride is all about having more, having more success, having more intelligence, and more beauty. But then he says, as soon as we come across someone else who's more intelligent, more beautiful, or more successful, then we lose pleasure in all that we have, and we are enslaved. I know this well, because this plays out in my own life. It plays out in pastors' lives. I noticed it when I went to seminary. You see, when pastors go to seminary, they often go after they've been ministering in their local church somewhere, and they stand up, and they preach their very first sermon in that local church, and then some sweet old lady tells them, I've never heard anyone preach like that. You are the next Tim Keller. 
And so then you go to seminary and you think that you're the next Tim Keller and then you get around everybody else who thinks they're the next Tim Keller. And then as soon as someone else can preach better than you can, you lose all your pleasure and all your joy and we are enslaved to the gifts that God has given us. You see, obsession with self will make us proud when it's going well and will make us insecure when things aren't going well. Have you ever been around someone who is full of boasting? They come across often as mean and joyless. Or when you come across someone who's full of insecurity or fear, we become powerless and scared. We can use anything, including religion, to make us miserable. (laughs) And that's what leads to division and strife in the body of Christ. And Paul is working out the solution that can kill pride and fear. We only have one punchline in every sermon. We only have one solution to every problem, and it's the gospel. It's Jesus. And only the gospel can kill our fear and our pride. When we see other sin and have a temptation to feel superior, we have to remember that the gospel tells us that we are sinners saved by grace, and so we should be humble. But then when we see sin in ourselves and we have a temptation to feel inferior, we have to remember that in Christ we are loved and we are adopted and so perfect love casts out all fear. The gospel and the gospel alone will kill fear and pride in the hearts of humanity. Gospel freedom wipes away this fear and pride so that you don't have to think about yourself, and that's beautiful. That's the very definition of humility. You may remember that C.S. Lewis famously wrote in Mere Christianity something basically like this. If you ever come across a humble person, you would never come away from thinking that they were humble. They would not be telling us that they were a nobody, but the thing we would remember is how much they seem to be interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. A thousand years before Lewis, another guy, Bernard of Clairvaux, wrote this. Self-forgetfulness is the epitome of humility. But this is so rarely seen or experienced. Humility is the virtue by which a person recognizes his own unworthiness because he knows himself. Humility literally means to be close to the earth, to be humble, to know our positions before a holy God, to know the distinction between the creator of the universe and who we are. You know, Bernard also pointed out something really amazing in his treaty on humility. He pointed out that Jesus had every virtue in perfection and abundance. But Jesus only draws attention to one of his virtues and commends it to us. Do you know what it is? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart or humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus could have talked about his compassion. He could have talked about his justice. He could have talked about his love. But the one virtue that he wanted to highlight was humility. 
Because he says, if you understand, if you grasp humility, then and only then will you find rest for your souls. Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you miserable? Then Jesus says the solution is humility. You will only find freedom in Jesus. Now let's apply this. You see, part of freedom is freedom from thinking about ourselves so much. The world no longer revolves around me, my success, my reputation, my standing, or others' perception of me. And what does this enable me to do? Gospel freedom enables us to love others and to be good to them. Friends, I would submit this to you. If you are struggling to love someone, then you are probably struggling with humility. One pastor said that there are not too many problems you face that humility won't solve. Gospel freedom enables us to love others and to be good to them. But gospel freedom also produces true satisfaction through seeking the good of others. You see, we are free to flourish. And when we edify other people, we are actually gratifying ourselves. Think about this. It's a joyful responsibility to serve other people. Jesus says the world works better and you will experience more pleasure and more joy if you follow my commandments. And one of my commandments is not just to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, but what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's counterintuitive. But if you want to experience true pleasure and true joy, then be good to your neighbors. It works even just on a real practical level. Think about freedom in driving. Are you free to drive on the road? Yes. Are you free to drive on the wrong side of the road? Well, sort of. (laughs) Not really. If you draw up on the wrong side of the road, you'll likely hurt or kill somebody else, and you will likely be hurt and be killed possibly as well. You see, when we are good to others, humans flourish. And so gospel freedom produces true satisfaction through seeking the good of others. That's why Paul gives us several examples in this chapter. He says, don't cause others to stumble. You're free to drink, and you're free to eat. And you're free not to drink, and you're free not to eat. Whatever would serve others well. And then he says in verse 24, actively seek their good. It's better to give than to receive. And so Christian, this summer, are you using your freedom in Christ to build others up and to grow them in grace? Summary of first point is this. Love by Christ, you are free in Christ. So enjoy it for the good of others. Next point is this. Enjoy freedom by gathering of the lost. Look at verse 33. Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Here's what I know. If you were once enslaved and you've been set free, then you care about setting other people free who are enslaved. It's I once was lost, but now I'm found, and I want others who are lost to be 
profound. And if you think about this, our joy of freedom is magnified when it's shared and when it is multiplied. When you show someone something that you love and they begin to love it too, that's awesome. All of you know, I think by now, I love baseball. James does not love baseball. I've been trying to teach him to love baseball. We'll go to Nats games and we'll try to explain the rules. And I get so excited when he enjoys the game because I love it. And when he loves it, then my joy is multiplied. It's the same way in coaching my kids in baseball. I love baseball. And fortunately, they love baseball right now as well too. Because you don't want to be one of those crazy parents, you know, who forces their kids to do everything that you love and they hate it. I mean, you know, you got to figure that out as they get older. But right now... Right now, I love baseball. And so when my kids love baseball, my joy is multiplied because they love something that I love. And when we share that love for it, it's a beautiful thing. You know, that's how Paul talks about evangelism. If you ever want to see Christians put their head down in a service, all you got to do is preach on prayer, giving, or evangelism. And everybody's like, guilty, you know, put your head down. But that's not Paul's attitude towards evangelism. Evangelism to Paul is way more of a delight than it is a duty. Why? Because Paul is free to show other people how to love what he loves, namely the gospel, Jesus. You see, when we experience the freedom of Christ, it is to our joy and to our pleasure to extend the love of Christ to others. Enjoy freedom by gathering of the lost. Think about it. That's why Paul went to great lengths. He says that he became all things to all people that he might save some. Think about the lengths that he went to. He says, to a Jew, be a Jew. All right, you know how this played out? Acts chapter 16, Timothy, come here. To a Jew, be a Jew. Time to circumcise you. Think about that. He goes to great lengths in order to win others to faith in Christ. To a Greek, he became a Greek. You see, the fullness of our lives is what should make outsiders pay attention. They should be drawn to Christ because of our freedom, not because we are miserable. And you know how you do this? It's real easy. It's real practical. Use your freedom in the same way as Paul does. Eat what your friends eat. It's not hard. No dietary restrictions. You like bacon? Eat bacon. I didn't like sushi. I didn't drink coffee. When I met my wife, she liked sushi and she drank coffee. So you know what we did on the first two dates? I ate sushi and I drank coffee. And I'm still eating sushi and drinking coffee. When you love others, you serve others. And you share in those experiences with them. You know how else you can do it? Dress in a way that makes people feel comfortable, more formal or more casual. Speak in a language your friends understand. Seminary students have to, like, basically learn this after they graduate from seminary because you come out and you learn all these technical words, and nobody cares, and nobody understands what you're talking about. It's like you learn a foreign language, and you're like, hey, I'm going to impress you. Listen to this word, and everybody's like, I don't understand what you're saying, and I don't care. Seminarians have to learn to speak in normal conversation again. Just speak their language about one of your best friends, Jesus, who's changed your life. What else can you do? 
enjoy the things that they enjoy this summer. If they like to fish, fish with them. If they like sports, play sports with them. If they like music, go to a concert together. If they like a TV show, watch it together. It's very simple to use your freedom in a way that gathers the lost to Christ. And be prepared. Be prepared to sacrifice like Paul and Timothy. You might have to give up some time, some money, and convenience. But friends, you will enjoy it. Because why? Loved by Christ, you are free in Christ. So enjoy it by gathering the lost this summer. Final concluding story. These two joyful responsibilities of freedom will cause all of us to flourish. I was reminded of a story this week that back in 1995 at McLean Presbyterian Church, there was a young couple who were visiting one Sunday by the name of Drew and Jane. Drew and Jane, when they visited MPC back in 1995, experienced this gospel freedom. And during that service, this couple felt a call of the Holy Spirit to start a core group in Holland, Michigan, to plant a church in that area. They met for a year to pray for the good of others and the gathering of the lost. After a year, this core group called Pastor Tom Vanden Heuvel to be their pastor and church planner for this new PCA church in Holland, Michigan. You didn't know we planted a church in Holland, Michigan. And you also didn't know this, that Drew and Jane are the parents of Jess Newman, one of our board of women. And the husband of Jess Newman is our very own Nathan Newman, who came to his church through his connection with Jess Newman at Covenant College. And so it's amazing that joy is multiplied. When we serve others, they receive blessing, and then we also receive blessing. It's obvious that freedom is enjoyed when freedom is shared. And now, Nathan Newman is here, and he's working for the good of others and the salvation of the lost, all because Drew and Jane experienced gospel freedom at MPC back in 1995. Friends, summer is upon us. Loved by Christ, you are free to glorify God. You are free for the good of others. And you are free to gather the lost. And you never know how God will use you if you are willing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this table, we ask that you might strengthen our faith, that as we come to the bread and the cup, we might experience the reality of this grace in ways that we've never experienced before. Father, you've promised that by grace through faith that you will meet us at this table. And so, Father, we ask you to do that even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.